and this is the Upside Out podcast where we chat with entrepreneurs, artists, athletes and chefs on how to thrive in adversity and rename uncertainty as possibility. In the past weeks, the tech community has been incredible at showing us how to pivot fast and adapt towards these changing times. One of many companies that had to redefine the way they are moving forward is IM, the community marketplace for photographers and videographers. With more than 20 million creators using the service, IM had to not only think fast on how to support their community, but also change the internal structure to accommodate remote working, new ways of communicating, to redefine their strategy, and to deal with the psychological challenges everybody is facing. Ramsey Risk, the co-founder and CTO of IM, has been working relentlessly to make sure they not only focus on keeping the company afloat, but to work towards building a strategy that takes him and his team out of this crisis stronger than ever. I have to apologize for the slight sound glitches in between the conversation. We're recording everything on Zoom, obviously, so sometimes the internet decides to be a pain in the ass. But regardless, I hope you enjoy the episode and get inspired on how to embrace the new normal and lead with care. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm sitting here on Zoom with Ramzi Gis. He's the co-founder and CTO of IM. If you're a Berliner, you probably know the company quite well. They are a community and a marketplace for photographers and videographers where you can access a database of amazing picture. You can uh, buy, sell, and browse through incredible inspiration. There are more than now 20 million creators on it and uh, across 150 countries. Uh, you guys started in Berlin, but now uh, you are... Correct me if I'm wrong, also in New York and London. And uh, it started, uh, the whole story started in uh, 2011. So it's been quite the journey. So before we talk about the current uh, situation and uh, how you're doing in, in the midst of uh, all these happenings, I wanted to briefly go back to a bit of the beginning. Uh, mm -hmm. I know you started in academia and uh, you were in the midst of writing your PhD. And then you transitioned in entrepreneurship. So how did that go about? Why did you decide to transition? First, great to be here. And thanks, you. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Um, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was a kind of a, a day and night transition. I think when I started doing my PhD, I realized that um, the academic world was not for me. I felt that it was very, very restricted. Uh, uh, I, I, I used to call it the PowerPoint, uh, the Power PhD, because, uh, because of kind of the skills seem to be PowerPoint, power suit, power tie, walking around, uh, uh, preparing me to become kind of a um, kind of a consultant at the end. And uh, I didn't find that um, particularly appealing. I uh, thought the topics of research were quite interesting that I was working on, but also the academic process uh, of, uh, you know, uh, chasing the next publication and chasing the next paper. It felt very, very, um, very restricting and very kind of constructed. Uh, so I shifted to working at a separate company. So I actually joined a small startup as CTO, and then I uh, started working at another company as kind of uh, leading their engineering teams, mobile web uh, building products. And then I took a break to finish my PhD. Um, and that is when I got together with my co-founders and we had this, uh, you know, we like to call it an ominous, uh, an ominous night at, at, at my place and kind of after brainstorming and, and chatting and spending so many hours talking about this, it kind of clicked. And I'm, I'm known for, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite rational, but I'm known for also making uh, uh, decisions based purely on like a gut feeling. And, and I think I am was a, uh, uh, a gut feeling in, in, in many senses, you know, we, the four of us love photography. 
I've been shooting since I was um, six years old, maybe I was on Flickr for the longest time. So there was that, um, that aspect of it that spoke to my heart. Um, there was the excitement of starting something new. And then there was kind of this whole mobile revolution that was happening at that point um, that, that just made it very, very exciting to explore building something in kind of the, the social, local, mobile space. And, uh, and that, was, that was really it, right? You know, we, we obviously we wanted our photographers and creators to connect and uh, uh, learn and become better and, and eventually earn with their content, uh, get published, get exhibited. That's kind of the, the, uh, the, the goal and the mission of, of what we're doing. But the reason we do it is really a love for photography, first and foremost. How did you meet your co-founders? We, we um, kind of crossed paths, you know, Berlin was a little smaller, I would say, back, back then. Uh, uh, one of my co-founders, Lawrence, and I worked together at, uh, at the company I was working at. He was uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, fresh starting there, and um, I think he was still studying at the point, and uh, we, we, we got along quite well. We started together a few times with other friends, uh, Florian, uh, uh, we also knew, I also knew from, from, from going out, mostly Lawrence and Florian are, are friends. Florian worked as an intern at Gens previous agency. So there's like a, both a professional and a personal connection somehow bringing us together. Um, you know, we weren't like uh, childhood friends who grew up together, but uh, we, became, we became quite close. And I think most importantly, we realized very quickly that we shared a value set, which I think uh, you'll hear me talk about quite a bit. Um, you know, values are, I think, the main thing that... Uh, that uh, you know, shared values are the main thing you need to, to build something, to stay together, and to kind of be able to uh, weather the storms, I'd say. Yeah, that's really interesting that you say. I think uh, especially when you're building a company, it's a long journey. And uh, I've heard it from a lot of founders that say, okay, it's like a second love relationship that you have because you spend so much time together. So it's not only friendship, but there are so many intense moments together. And you guys have been together now for uh almost 10 years right so next to sort of sharing a set of uh common values what else uh is there that sort of strengthened this bond between you guys uh, that made it um sort of sure that this relationship lasted so long i i think i think it's a good comparison to to a relationship to a marriage something like that um Unfortunately, I've, I've never been in a 10 year old relationship, so I have no idea uh, how, how to draw comparisons. Um, I, think, I think it is true, though, that you become, you become family to, to a certain extent, you know, you're, you're, which for, 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 for better and for worse, you know, which means that we do need distance from another. We're not the best of friends. We don't, uh, uh, you know, they're not my first choice when I want to go out with someone. They're not my first choice when I want to uh, uh, meet meet friends I'm not theirs either uh, so we have we have a certain kind of buffer distance between us that, that keeps the relationship healthy but um, just like it's with family most of the time there's or, or with a relationship there's an, an inherent level of trust and an inherent understanding that um, we do want the same thing right there's there's an understanding that even if we disagree a hundred percent the, the reason we're disagreeing is not because we have ulterior motives, but because we think there's a better way or a different way of doing something. And we believe strongly in that. So, um, so, so, you know, the, the comparison is quite, 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 a, quite a good one. The, the comparison to, to a relationship or, or a familiar uh, uh, setting. 
I would say, I would say the, the main way to survive it is to, you know, to be open with, with each other as much as possible and, and to kind of make sure that the others are, are heard. And in our case, we had the luxury of kind of having different areas of expertise, which made it easier, um, obviously harder because we're all entrepreneurs. So we all have an idea of how the strategy should be and how the company should be run. But um, in our day-to-days, at least, we were able to kind of clearly separate who's responsible for what. Um, and that made, that made it much, uh, much easier. So basically like having chores and, and uh, breaking down responsibilities in a, in a relationship as well. So is that also how you deal when you, for instance, get into, I guess, a conflict or um, maybe one of you has a different opinion on how to go forward? So how do you um, make sure that you deal with, okay, who makes the the decision in a certain context or uh, how you go about just dealing with conflicts that arise normally? That's that's a good question. And and honestly, I've heard a lot of the times you know, people people talking about uh, you know following a strict set of rules. I I don't generally think that that works. You know, we've had a lot of cases. It's been you know it's ten years. We've had a lot of cases where we resolved conflicts uh, uh, in a very poor way. You know, the, I think I think the couple of rules that we do tend to follow is um, each of us has their areas of expertise and responsibility, and as as much as possible. Um, that person is then responsible for the decisions that get made there. Um, obviously, if you need input, if you need support, then the others are available. But generally, if, if it's your area of responsibility, then it's your decision. And you could, you could veto to a certain extent if you don't want to have um, you know, other people's feedback. And you know, to give an example, I guess tech, tech is always very, uh, a very easy, um, let's say, easy way out for me because I, you know, I can just say, oh, this is, you know, technologically challenging. We can't do that that way. And that will take five months. So we'll do it this way. And no one argues. But to, to, to kind of make it more, um, to kind of make it more uh, uh, tangible, I don't know if you know this, we organize, um, we organize the world's largest photography competition every year. And we have like an exhibition around it. Uh, the last couple of years that became Berlin Photo Weeks. Um, we had 25,000 people, or, sorry, 32,000 people attend Photo Week uh, uh, last year. In, in, in Berlin, obviously. And in the weeks before, we were discussing what the text that is on the uh, kind of as you walk in, there's like this one text that tells you about the event and what should say, what it, what, what it should say, right? And everyone had feedback. I had feedback because I like to read and write. And Lawrence had feedback because uh, he's a co founder in the company as well, and Florian and Gen. And so all four of us were kind of di- discussing it. But at the end of the day, Photo Week is Gen's project. And he could at some point say, you know what, we're done. This is going to the print now. And, um, and that's kind of how we, how we try to um, make decisions at the, at, uh, if, if it gets to a point where there's way too much discussion and way too much argument and um, way too much distraction. You know, uh, very, very clearly working with uh, directly responsible individuals, DRIs. Right. I'm wondering a bit about uh, your role as a CTO because every time I talk to CTOs, I feel like everybody gives me a different uh, picture of what the role entails. And I read somewhere that you also wanted to write a blog about it, but never came to it because uh, it's such an elaborate um, description of what the role should be and uh, what the characteristics, or I guess, uh, personality characteristics one should uh, embody to to be a good CTO. So maybe you can elaborate on that a bit. 
sure. I, I, I'm trying to remember what, what I was, I think I said I wanted to write uh, my own job description and I had a chat uh, doing that because it, it evolved quite a bit over the years, right? And as, you know, this is, this is basically, if you take away the, 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 the hat that you wear as, as kind of a founder of the company, right? Um, there's, there's a different set of responsibilities there that aren't necessarily your responsibilities as a, as a CTO, you know, things like uh, 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 fundraising and company strategy and make, you know, trying to figure out what the next uh, office should look like and discussing you know, the company party and uh, values. I think there's, there's a lot of things that are quite kind of more on a, on a management uh, or, or founder level. I think as a as a as a CTO in the very early days, um, you're just a coder, right? So you're you're basically I'm 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 CTO more or less because of the four of us, I was the best programmer, basically. That's that's how it starts, right? At some point, you have to evolve into uh, uh, growing into a team, and then you realize there's there's generally two different types. Um, if you found a company, right? If you found a company, that means you do have a certain set of traits around being entrepreneurial and uh, not being risk of something to kind of, uh, you know, being passionate about. These are all things you need. But then beyond that, you go down either the infantry uh, or kind of the manager track. And I think with a CTO, it's the same. Uh, in the beginning, you're programming everything. You start hiring people. Uh, uh, very early on, you can you can lead by example. But at some point, you have a you have a bigger team of people, and then Typically, you're either uh, um, kind of the, the engineering crack CTO who's, um, who's basically taking on the big challenging technical projects and still coding and still kind of inspiring the team because you're the best engineer in the team or because you're kind of heads down coding. Um, and then there's, the, there's the more of the kind of the management uh, uh, driven person or, or the management uh, 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 let's say focused in, uh, CTO who's um, you know, and that's that's really more me who's uh, more around empowering the people finding the right people but even but you know over the years less and less involved in the in the day-to-days of, uh, of engineering and you know I can I can say that I'm probably the worst um, software developer at I am um, no questions or at least in the engineering and, and product organization at I am so my focus is uh, as CTO is really just empowering the team, making sure the the uh, decisions being made are being considered properly, making sure we hire the right people, we have the right structures. Um, I'm also responsible for for data, so I'm you know in addition to being CTO, kind of also in charge of our uh, entire data pipeline, BI set, uh, and all that. So pretty much. Pretty much um, more on the management side, I would say at, at this point, and these are the two different, I'd say, the two different roles that that uh, that you would have as a CTO on a very broad level. Obviously, it then starts to become different depending on the different companies, right? If you have a, if you have like an you know, in, in a machine learning research uh, focused company, then uh, your CTO could be just the some the person who's uh, could be just who's focused really on doing the underlying infrastructure needed for the researchers to, to be able to run their machine learning algorithms. And then you have a chief science officer who's responsible for the actual innovation. If you're at a, so it really, it really depends from, from setup to setup, to be honest. But 
broadly if you could someone who someone who is responsible for technology at a, at a company one way or another wondering what did you guys focus on in the first days of building i am this is something that uh, a lot of young entrepreneurs that i talk to talk about um are sort of asking because there's not like a secret sauce or a framework in itself right uh, but uh, it's more that you i guess have to sense a bit when you go from nothing to an mvp what was it what was the journey like for you guys what did you focus on at the very first days it's it's a good question because it's always it's always uh, a child figure out what what uh, you know when when something is ready enough to be shared with the outside world and uh, you know, I think in our case, we didn't have to think a lot or search a lot for what we wanted to build. Um, so we had kind of clarity that the first step of what we were building, we, we started, that was the absolute first thing we did in 2010. We built a little website, launched it in a couple of days and launched a therapy exhibition that was um competition sorry that was that that culminated in an, in an exhibition where something like you know a few thousand people submitted their photos via the website it was very simple the to build the website that was a matter of maybe a week or two super easy stuff and then it was it was more about the aesthetics right that was step one then we started building uh, a community right and we we have a few people that we can already move over the few thousand people that signed up for the for the competition but the question was what 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 level is ready and we basically at some point said that's the date and that's the date we're going to uh, launch the website and more or less that's what we did. so we kind of had clarity on what the product needed to look like roughly um and we started we started uh, we just we just said that's the kind of how it needs to look like that's the date where we need to kind of roughly launch and let's see how much we can get into uh, uh you know into production by 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 that point um there were obviously some basics that we needed you know you have to be able to create an account and upload photos and like and comment and follow people and follow albums um so those those things were 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 required but beyond that there was there was uh, you know it was as much as we could um I think I think we were we have always been very very close to our community, which helped because that meant that there was pretty much a constant stream of feedback in terms of uh, what people thought of what we were building, um, what what worked, what didn't. I I still have that today. You know, I still typically the fastest way I know if we launched something that was broken is that someone from the community writes me on on messenger or on whatsapp or sends you an email like we, we still have that 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 close contact so that um we generally uh hear back from the people using our product very quickly and so that's the i guess that's the main driver um obviously the the challenge is always on the other hand how do we decide you know what now's the time let's just get it out there and let's stop iterating and stop questioning ourselves um Back then, it was, I would say, a bit easier. Like today, people have a higher, relatively higher expectation of how polished the product needs to be. Um, back then, uh, you know, it was, again, it was kind of the early days of consumer apps. It was the early days of, uh, uh, you know, photo sharing didn't even exist really as a, as a mobile thing. Uh, so you could, you could afford to make more mistakes, I would say. Um, but also, 
you had fewer fewer frameworks to build things. So it's a it's a balance, right? Um, when when I guess if, if if I'm talking to someone who's building something new, something uh, fresh, when in doubt, um, launch. When in doubt, ship and then and then iterate, right? I think people are much more uh, uh, open if they like what you're building and if they, they see the value and people are much more open to uh, uh, tolerate errors and mistakes and bugs and whatever, if you found something that they want. It's always a discussion about how perfect and how great something should look like to sort of put it out there at first, because everybody is afraid of uh, uh, how people will react to it. But essentially, if you don't let, get anything out there and anything fast, you really cannot progress anyways. That's, that's absolutely it. That's absolutely it. That's why basically, um, you know, unless, unless, and I've seen this mistake quite a bit as well, um, where you basically take anecdotal evidence as uh, fundamental feedback. So you build something, you launch it, one person says, oh, um, I think it should be in black instead of white. And then you're like, oh my God, yes. And then kind of you go back to the working, uh, uh, to, the, to the kind of, to the, to the code and you, you, you flip it over, you send it back out and someone says, I think it needs to be purple instead of black. And then you do that. So you can't, you can't go so far as to be influenced by, by every set of uh, feedback that you get. But um, yeah, unless, unless you launch, unless you uh, iterate, then you're not going to get any feedback. And if you don't get any feedback, then you will never know if what you're building is, is in any way, shape or form valuable. Right now, we are quite in uh, interesting times with COVID-19. Uh, so I'm wondering how has it impacted IM right now? You guys are working with a lot of uh, artists uh, and the artist community has been struggling a lot because of uh, the lockdown and not being able to uh, go out and produce projects the way, the way they're used to. Um, so how has uh, this shift of normality been impacting you guys? Uh, it, it has been impacting us obviously on, on, on quite a few different levels. We, we had a set of rules in place or set of kind of uh, stages that we defined in place um, for, this, for this eventuality. Before that, we were, uh, we were not a remote company. We were not a home office uh, company. We basically worked from the office, but we, we, decided on, um, we, so we decided on a set of phases. Phase one was the first case that hits a city we're in. So in London, we have, we have, we have, we have just one person. Uh, it's a little different, but in New York or Berlin, we said, you know, the first case of, uh, the first case in that city official is when we would go into phase one. Phase one meant uh, where we'll be cleaning the office more and we'll have, um, we'll have uh, uh, restricted uh, or reduced traveling. We'll, you know, have some, some guidelines around, uh, recommending that people work from home instead of in the office, et cetera. Phase two would be uh, more of that. So we'll stop catering, we'll reduce visits to the office, we'll have, uh, we'll, 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 we'll have, you know, very highly recommend people that they all work from home. And step three was we, we close the office. We went through those phases very, very quickly um, in Berlin and New York. So we closed on our office in early May, very early May. It was, uh, I still think it was the, the, the right decision to make. So on, on that level, there was obviously a lot of, um, a lot of uh, I guess, learning experiences around working remotely. With engineering, obviously, a lot of the tools that we use, or engineering and product, a lot of the tools that we use are, are ready for that. You know, we work 
in a way that is, let's say, remote friendly and, and other teams not necessarily. So there was a lot of learning around there. Um, but I think that my team, you know, that our teams have, have, have managed this really well and, and uh, quite, quite proud of how, how productive everyone is, all things being considered. So that's on the, on the team side. On the business side, it's obviously difficult because we make money from uh, licensing and from creating uh, content, right? And that means a lot of it is uh, from from marketing budgets, and a lot of it is obviously focused on travel. Travel doesn't exist anymore, <laughs> and and marketing budgets obviously get slashed uh, very early on when when there's a when there's a crisis. So there was there was significant impact on the business from the from the demand side. But our, our business team, our sales team, has managed to go out and find uh, different areas and ways to, to monetize that uh, 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 in, in different verticals that we weren't necessarily focusing on as much before. And uh, it's, it's roughly balancing out. Obviously, it's not going to be the same year that we had uh, forecasted at the end of last year, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to survive, I think. Um, from, the, from the creator's side, obviously, it's also very difficult because uh, uh, photographers and videographers are not necessarily, uh, uh, you know, the average photographer is not necessarily ridiculously wealthy and they do rely on these jobs that come in. Um, not being able to travel, not being able to leave the home is, uh, has proven very difficult. And we're trying, to, we're trying to see how we could have, you know, photo shoots move locally. Uh, you know, it's one of the things that we do when we produce content is the fact that, uh, or kind of one of the advantages that we have is the fact that you can, we can produce content in 150 50 different cities in the world. We don't need to travel to those cities. So what we're trying to do is to shift the focus of the projects to places that have less restrictions. We're trying to kind of, uh, uh, at least the photographers who have access to their own photo studios, which means they can go there and they can, they can still work. Uh, try to get them uh, some of the production uh, work that is that is coming in. Uh, we're trying to kind of work without models or work with models that uh, are already in quarantine. So if you're a photographer and you happen to uh, uh, live with someone that you work with, potentially that could. So so we're trying to really um, in, in every different case trying to um, make sure that uh, we 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 still we still you know do our part and. Uh, employ as many of the of the photographers and videographers on the individual jobs as as possible but it's tough i think it's a very very tough uh, time for uh, for creators and it's a very tough time you know you can also see it in the content that's coming in there's no there's no travel content there's no outside content people are working through their you know photos they shot a year ago but mostly it's uh, the number of photos from inside the number of photos of your feet and of your uh, desks and tables is just going through the roof. So it's, uh, it's quite interesting to see on a, on a global level. It's not, you know, nothing, nothing like I've ever seen before. Yeah, it's also interesting, uh, the type of content that's now being shared. It's much more personal because everybody is either on Zoom or talking with friends or so you see very unpolished content, even uh, like big productions. I was watching yesterday with a friend, uh, um, you know, um, like shows uh, that you see like Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel I don't know and mm. it's all from home and no makeup a very basic tech um, and I think it's a very interesting trend that it shows people that you can create something that's very valuable very personal but 
very basic. What is what is your opinion sort of of uh, this change of uh, how we produce content? Do you think it will shift a bit how we uh, go about creating content in the future? Uh, that's that's a very interesting question. I, I I watch those guys as well, and I have to admit that the no laughter is a very very confusing. It's really thing. weird. <laughs> suddenly you suddenly realize that a lot of the jokes are not that funny and or or maybe they're not that funny without without an audience um i i, I honestly don't know i think we tend to jump to conclusions very very quickly uh two days into this whole thing everyone's you know there was this whole meme about uh how nature has taken over again and how there's no more no more pollution and dolphins are in the in the spray in berlin the 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 the, the, the channel and it's I, I think we tend to exaggerate a little bit um and or, or overcorrect do not see us suddenly shifting to uh, self-produced everything I, I i still think there's there's a need for a professional setup professional equipment and so on and so forth but maybe maybe reduce the necessary um unnecessary stuff you know i think that that might be that might be what happens so Maybe maybe we don't need to fly someone over, uh, uh, to Bangkok from Berlin to do a podcast. You know, maybe we can do it this way now that we realize that it works like this. Um, but I I don't I don't think that means that uh, everyone is working from their home forever in, in in every kind of domain. So it's it's you know it's somewhere like a balance. But I think for young startups it doesn't matter because you're 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 at a size where you can uh, you can do however so you want. You can work from home anyway. I think for creatives, you need to, um, I've seen a lot of people set up small photo studios in their homes. Uh, you can do something that is that is relatively high quality with post-production afterwards, uh, quite high quality. You can do that uh, relatively. So um, there are ways, right? There are ways to uh, to professionalize, I guess, your, your environment. But um, whether whether that's going to be the, the end all, I doubt it. I think we'll go back to using proper tech and proper setups. Going back a bit to what you just uh, said about uh, people going back to, to work at some point, do you think that this, um, I guess, try of working completely remotely will alter also how we go now about working every day when uh, you know the social distancing bans start lifting up uh, do you guys think you'll go back completely to office life with im once uh, things settle down or do you think you'll implement some of uh, the experience that you're going through now uh, and how you go forward uh, with working day to day mm -hmm. it's a good question so it's um to be honest, it's a debate that we've had internally for uh, for a very long time, whether we want to um, allow home office or not, whether we want to work remotely or not. I think there's 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 two different sides to this. I've always seen a challenge in uh, in remote work because we're not remote first, and I think if uh, if you know if you have a team of twenty engineers and nineteen of them sit in the same room and one of them is in a different time zone and a different, uh, a different, different work rhythm, there's no way that person will, or it's very, very hard, it's very hard for that person to be embedded and integrated into the team. We've seen that firsthand, you know, unless, unless you make that entire team work in a way that is a little bit less efficient, a little bit different. So I, I think remote is a different question, but I think this whole notion of working from home as opposed to a physical space, it's something that I've wanted to push for a while. 
and I, I have to admit that I you know took advantage a little bit of this this, this whole COVID nineteen uh, situation to uh, push us quickly in that direction. And um, I don't think we're going back to a normal office afterwards. So obviously we're returning to our office. We need the physical space. We need to, uh, uh, a lot of us need to see each other, to connect with each other. I think in a lot of cases, um, you know, people on my teams are, are friends as well. And you know, people from, from 20 different countries working there, some moved just for this job. Uh, a lot of their friends are people they work with, so you're you're depriving everyone from uh, from from uh, from seeing their friends as well. Um, so I, I think I think two things really: this this whole situation is not let's say it's not a trial run for a society that works remotely because this is not these are not normal situations. Uh, this is a lockdown, right? I, I think it's I'm 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 happy that we're at all productive, let alone uh, you know at this level. When it's over. We will be going back to our offices, but we will uh, be, be changing definitely how we work. And we will be definitely introducing some more flexibility uh, um, as well as some more, more rigidity. So flexibility in terms of where you work from, but rigidity in terms of how we work. You know, um, We need to make sure that everything we discuss is documented. We need to make sure that uh, uh, we don't we don't do things by just mentioning it to someone uh, en passant instead of instead of you know writing a, a note or documenting it in a ticket. So we need to make sure that the stuff is formalized in a way so that the people that are working from home and the people that are in the office can are both on the same level of of, uh, of uh, knowledge, I guess. What has been helping you guys now to uh, maintain a level of productivity? So we're we over communicate. I think that's been that's been key, right? Uh, on engineering, on product, a lot of people are excited about uh, the notion of working from home and of being, you know, being able to show that it works. We, um, for me personally, I spend pretty much most of my day on on Zoom, just jumping in from one call to the next, uh, talking to as many people as possible, uh, making sure that it's also it's also it's not just you know uh, like a check in a one on one whatever, but actually just connecting with people, talking about the projects you're working on making sure that that they're heard so there's a lot of over communicating um, that is that has honestly been been quite helpful um, and there's also that sense of you know this is a tough time for our business this is a tough time for for business in general and I think um, you know being transparent with the team on what what it implies and being transparent on what the risks are but also most importantly what the opportunities are we uh, uh, we said you know we're not we're not just trying to survive that's pointless we're trying to win right whatever that means um but that you know we're, we're, we're working to actually come out of this stronger as a team than we went into it we're not just working to come out of this and not die in the middle of it um so that's that's going to be the the the, the or that has been the big challenge and uh, by 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 over communicating by clearly communicating by making sure we 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 have clarity and by letting people just you know uh, speak their minds and push for what they think is right i think we've we've managed to so far you know uh, uh, get through what you know what has been definitely a very difficult um, month month and a half in terms of uh, productivity and and how we work yeah, one of the difficulties in productivity that I've been hearing from other founders is also um, this discussion about um, the mental well-being of everybody because uh, going through such a challenging time brings so much uncertainty and with it also fear and anxiety. 
Um, how have you been personally dealing with your own mental well-being? Uh, that's 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 a good that's a very good question. Um, I'm in a bunch of different groups of, of entrepreneurs and, and and founders, and we've we've all had that conversation to try to understand, you know, on an individual level as well as as when it comes to our teams. I've noticed people committing code at three in the morning. I've I've seen people going online and starting to work at six. I've seen people that are. Uh, uh, so there, there's been an actual fear of burnout that we've discussed uh, with, with, with other people because your the rest of your life is basically, and, and that's my, that's my, you know, personal opinion. Obviously I'm not a neither, neither a psychiatrist nor a, nor a therapist, but um, I feel like because the rest of your life is upended, the only thing that is any sense of normalcy is, is work. And suddenly you kind of dive into that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make sure that people don't overwork. I'm, I'm trying to make sure that, that I talk to people all the time. My, my one-on-ones have become much longer because uh, uh, we, we discuss a lot more how they are, which, which honestly is something you should be doing anyway. Uh, I've, I've, I, I believe strongly in that. I believe strongly in, um, in, in caring personally and not just uh, being being kind of uh, uh, tough and, and transparent and honest or whatever. I think if you care personally about, about your team, that's uh, kind of one of the main traits you need to have as a, as a leader, um, as a manager. And uh, in this time, caring personally means just giving people the, the room to speak and talking to them openly about, about how they're feeling and, and how they're handling. For me personally, I'm, I'm, I'm quite okay, to be honest. I, at least I think I am. Like like everyone else, drinking a little bit more than usual to to, to overcompensate. Um, but other than that, I'm I'm you know I'm reading a lot, and that that helps. So I, I I'm not I'm not struggling on on you know I'm not missing going out. Put it that way. I'm not missing partying and 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 uh, and a very extensive social life. So on a personal level, I'm doing okay. When it comes to the team, like I said, trying to talk as much as possible. Still, without without pretending to be a therapist, because there's there's also you could potentially do more harm than 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 good if you pretend like you know what you're doing. Uh, so, give people room to talk and 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 uh, you know ask ask open questions and uh, get you know try to get honest answers, and that's that's all that can that, that you can do really. Yeah, that's a very interesting um, thing that you also mentioned uh, because as a founder, of course, you have quite a responsibility towards the people that work from you. But then again, uh, founders are not therapists themselves, but uh, uh, especially now when we're going through such changing times. And even I think before working in tech can be quite uh, intense. Uh, and since we spend so much time at work, uh, there is a lot of um, responsibility when it comes to helping out um, the team with their own uh, well-being. Of yeah. So how do you, I guess, implement uh, a healthy working environment where people can uh, talk more openly, I guess, also a bit more about uh, what they're personally going through so you can support them through mental challenges without, uh, as you mentioned, uh, taking on this role as a therapist, because essentially founders are not that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question. And I think it's one that really goes beyond um, beyond COVID-19 and beyond this situation, right? This is maybe just brought it to the forefront because uh, because of obviously 
the, the very unique uh, set of circumstances that we're experiencing. And in, in, in my experience, um, I, I just try to share a little bit more than, than, you know, not necessarily more than I'm comfortable sharing, but definitely share a little bit more of um, what I'm going through personally. And that, 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 is, that is helpful. I do have a quite, quite an open relationship to the, to the team that I work with, the people that I work with. So that also helps. So they know that this is not completely coming out of, I, I read a listicle on Business Insider on how to manage your team through this crisis and I'm now following the checklist. So they know that it's authentic. Um, but generally, uh, there's, 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 you know, I try not to give advice. I try not to tell people what to do. And I think that's, uh, that's, that's key. You know, I don't tell them, oh, well, you need to exercise or you need to go out for a walk. or That's not, not my, you know, my, my uh, uh, let's say my prerogative. But what I do is just try to hear them. And, and I think typically while you're talking, you will figure out for yourself stuff that you need, stuff that is lacking. At least that's, that's how I work. Um, so that's it, really. I, I, I genuinely ask people how they're doing and talk about, you know, how, how I'm doing with them and, and listen to how, how, you know, they're describing it and ask a second question. So I, it's, it's not just, hi, how are you? Okay, so what are you working on today? You know, that's, that's the difference between, between kind of a check-in and a setting where we try to... Um, a setting while we try to where we try to kind of dive a little bit deeper and uh, dive a bit deeper than just uh, the kind of one-to-one -one reporting go into the second order of things it's it's tough to quantify right it's tough to say this is this is how you do it but uh, there's there's a lot of good books around this you know there's a book called managing humans I can I can highly recommend by Rans. There's Radical Candor I can highly recommend. So there's a lot of good books around. Um, you know you realize that your techniques are your own, but there's a lot of good books around how typically you can structure something like this to set yourself up to ask the right questions and set the team up to to feel like they can, uh, um, you know, they're heard. I think that's that's key. I have one more uh, question. I was wondering. Sure. Um, have you personally learned something that changed your perspectives on things from this adversity that we're going through? Uh, or do you notice that there is uh, maybe a change of uh, direction of how you want to focus uh, the next months with IM and maybe personally? I think, I think on, a, on, on a company level, there's, there's a lot of organizational change that... Um, that uh, that has uh, kind of come through this, uh, you know, around around opening up uh, potentially working from home, opening up uh, remote down the road, figuring out what tools work, what tools don't. Uh, there's there's things, little things. You know, it's not there's nothing hyper dramatic about it, right? But there's the little things like noticing that um, if you have meetings or if you have like group group calls, there's some people that are introverted and that are soft spoken that don't speak up and then you realize okay so we always need to have a written form parallel to that where people can actually who, are, who don't feel comfortable you know speaking up in a, in a in a call with 10 people who then can write the stuff down so there's like there's like tiny little things here and there that i've that i've that i've noticed that i've learned that i can um, introduce um 
no big dramatic change in terms of how our business runs. I think we're, you know, we're, we're already uh, uh, kind of tech forward, we're very digital, we, we work globally, we have, uh, uh, you know, we, we empower kind of creators globally, we're decentralized in that sense. So there's a lot of things that we already do that, that are benefiting from it. I don't think much will change there. Um, on a personal level, at, at this point, not, not, not much, to be honest. Like I, I always find it a little funny that, you know, you go through two weeks and then you're like, my life has changed. And now I am, you know, everyone is a baker, but then I, I, I got into this habit of uh, actually reverse searching those images. And you realize that most of the photos that are being uploaded are fake. Oh, uh, are, it's, it's kind of, you know, I think, I think everyone kind of, we try to reinvent ourselves all the time. And to me, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my job. I'm still happy with, with that. Um, I'm reading, I'm happy with that. And uh, I'm avoiding the news, um, which I started doing, by the way, in 2016. That's something I can recommend a lot of people. Avoid most um, kind of breaking news and instant news and, and, and news headlines because that just, that just messes up your life. So uh, it's mostly pointless anyway. Um, yeah, I don't think there's something hyper kind of insightful and deep that I can, that I can share with you on, uh, uh, you know, after, after four weeks of, of quarantine on that, on that level. I think, uh, you know, my favorite thing is the fact that I have my books and I get to read my books. And, uh, and that's kind of what, and also my, my dog right over there. My girlfriend so is in the cool. other room. And these are the things that, uh, these are the things that kind of make everything bearable. So it's all good. I'm very glad to hear that and uh, it's nice to hear also some uh, positivity and sort of also this uh, good energy that comes out of adversity as well. It's quite inspiring. Uh, to wrap it up, um, do you perhaps have any advice to give towards entrepreneurs um, or people who are starting something uh, right now in these you know uncertain times do you think the focus of uh, what you need to look uh, into when you build a company normally have changed um, right now and maybe you can give some advice from your experience mm -hmm. um, yes 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 and no right I think uh, we've all read some article from you know someone in the VC world or whatever that that says how this is very comfortable and like how whenever there's a recession, there's the next wave of crazy innovation. And everyone talks about how Airbnb and Facebook were founded in the last recession and, and Uber and like Google was the one before. So, you know, we've, 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 we've all heard that obviously there's, there's, there's a, some a grain of salt of, of truth in that. Um, I think, I think, you know, talking about Corona is one thing, talking about a global recession is another. Um, the COVID-19 situation will potentially lead to more people building stuff with a bigger impact on, uh, uh, on our kind of environment, on sustainability, on uh, 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 renewables and, 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 and stuff like that. I think there's a lot of uh, attention being, being focused on the, things like this that was already happening. I think during a recession, that means there's uh, uh, you know more more skilled you know talent available for hire. Um, stuff becomes a bit more affordable, and then uh, uh, it's kind of the right time to launch something new. So, what I can tell you know what I can advise people starting up is what I would always say is you know you have to be passionate about what you're doing. You have to care 
very much about what you're doing in, in general because that's really key to uh, uh, to surviving kind of the inevitable uh, pain and, and the frustration and uh, uh, failures that will come, right? So it's unavoidable that whatever it is you're building, that at some point you will hit a wall and it will be very painful. And unless you genuinely believe that what you're building is, is important and the world needs it, it's super hard to um, just to, to get back up after after running into that wall and, and and running into it again in order to break through, right? So I think do something you 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 and I also think we live we live in like absolutely privileged times, especially you know us in in Europe and and in in, in the West we live you know and and in kind of advanced countries we live we have the privilege of being able to do that and try and fail and then try again. Because we have systems that support that, so there's no justification for building something you don't believe in, um, and and even more so now, where there will be a ton of capital. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but in six months and nine months, there will be a lot of cash flowing into projects that are coming from a place of uh, conviction and that are really built with with an, with impact in mind, right? And. Uh, so if, if those are the things that, that, that you're working on, then now is the perfect time to start. And, and, uh, but honestly, any time is the perfect time to start because uh, you, you obviously find this anecdotal evidence and you can always find something in the numbers. But really, if you're building the right thing and if you're passionate about it, and if you, you know, genuinely believe that, um, that what you're building will change the world, and if you personally are willing to, uh, 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 to learn and evolve while you're doing it, then you will find backers, you will find supporters, and you will find uh, you know people who want to go with you on that journey, and that's that's the key. And if you have that, then you're good to go. Beautifully put. Well, thank you so much for the time and sharing uh, all this wonderful experience and knowledge. It's great advice. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Irina. Thanks so much for listening, guys. If you enjoyed the content so far, you can support us by subscribing and by sharing the podcast with your friends. You can also follow us on Instagram under the Upside Out, where we share additional content and updates on upcoming episodes. See you next time.